This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today, my guest is the writer and director, Jared Stern. He created the Netflix animated series Green Eggs and Ham, co-wrote the Lego Batman movie and the Lego Ninjaga movie, as well as wrote and directed the film Happy Anniversary. Jared's latest project is the animated film DC League of Super Pets, which he wrote, produced, and directed. It follows Superman's dog, Crypto, who has powers and has to take charge when the Man of Steel and the rest of the Justice League are kidnapped. The film features the voice work of John Krasinski, Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart, Vanessa Bayer, Natasha Leone, Kate McKinnon, Diego Luna, Keanu Reeves, and more. Take a listen to part of the trailer for DC League of Super Pets. I have an owner, and he's Superman. Let me just iron that out. They should call me Iron Man. <laughs> when one has an abundance of power, they have a certain duty to use that power to... Sorry, you were saying something? How much did you have to drink? I had two toilet bowls. And a bidet. Bidet, too, which is, which is crazy. I didn't even know that was a thing, but it's like a dog water fountain. There's a lot to talk about, and um, I want to talk about a lot of the work you've done, but I also want to talk about this film you have coming up. It's called DC League of Super Pets. Just from the title, I think I kind of know what it's about, but I wonder if you can give us a little setup for what the, what the film's about. Sure. Uh, so uh, in the comics, uh, Superman has a dog, it turns out, named Crypto. Uh, and Crypto the super dog, he has all the same powers as Superman and uh, heat vision, he can fly, all that fun stuff. And um, and he's got a great life because he's got superpowers and he's got the best owner in the world. He's Superman's best friend. Um, but he doesn't have any other friends. That's his only friend. And he's not really great at getting along with other pets. Um, and so when uh, tragedy strikes and Superman and the rest of the Justice League are uh, captured by an evil villain, um, he needs to actually make some friends in order to save the day, form his own sort of little uh, four-legged Justice League uh, with these other pets that came from a shelter that were powerless animals, uh, unlike him, uh, that recently got powered. And uh, he's going to have to figure out how to befriend them and team up in order to save the day. I kind of remember Crypto from comics, and I feel like there's maybe an animated show that had him in it. Um, why do a story about Crypto and these pets? Obviously, Superman's really exciting. We, we know a lot of like uh, the Justice League as well. Uh, well, the origin story of this movie was uh, my uh, now wife was uh, volunteering at a pet shelter, and uh, I went along one day. And I stress that it was just one day. She's the good person. She volunteers all the time. And I just helped out one time. And while I was there, I noticed that uh, there's sort of a front room that had all these adorable kittens. Um, and by the way, anytime any pet gets adopted, it's wonderful, including those kittens. But I felt like 
they probably got a decent chance of uh, finding a new home soon. And then we went into this back area where there were these other pets that I sort of thought of as like the lifers. Um, <laughs> they were Some of them were older, uh, some of them were dealing with various issues. And I thought, oh, it's gonna be tougher for these ones to get adopted. And I have no idea why, but I thought, you know, what if they got superpowers? They could escape. And uh, maybe because they just seem so powerless, I wanted them to be powerful. Um, and at the same time, I was working at Warner Brothers on, uh, on the Lego movies, which included Lego Batman. And so we had a lot of the different Warner's uh, DC um, superhero properties. And, I, and, and in t talking about it and thinking about it, thought maybe we can kind of combine those things. And, and I knew, as you did, of Crypto from the comics and Ace the Bat Hound. And, and I learned a bunch more. And uh, so that was kind of the seed of, of the idea from that one day at a pet shelter and then thinking about the, the various DC super pets and smushing it all together. So did your wife just kind of hold it over over you that she was kind of the reason this film happened? <laughs> absolutely, uh, absolutely. She reminds me every day. And then also, you you mentioned some of the other uh, some other pets that are actual in like DC Comics. What was uh, one of the pets that maybe surprised you to discover when you were working on this film? There's a there's a pet that comes from a really uh, classic uh, old school DC comic called Funny Stuff. Uh, and it's called Merton McSnurtle, the terrific what's it. And it's this turtle uh, that um, in various iterations has ended up becoming the Flash's turtle, a turtle that gets super speed. Uh, and, uh, and Merton is portrayed by Natasha Leone in the movie, which is fantastic. In the trailer, I, we, we, hear, we see some of these animals getting their powers, and I believe uh, that's one of them. Yes, uh, I believe you see her getting her powers, and, um, and she takes off like a, a pinball inside a pinball machine, uh, bouncing around, or like one of those shells in a Mario Kart uh, flying around. So she's, she's super fast, but uh, she's 150 years old, and she's still blind, practically. So it's like <laughs> someone, gave, uh, someone gave Mr. Magoo the keys to a Ferrari. Uh, so, uh, super speed, great, but uh, if you can't see, uh, not so good. I couldn't help but hear a bark in the background. I'm guessing you probably have a pet of your own. Yes, I apologize. That was my super pet, uh, my not so super pet, Sir Roger. Uh, his eyes kind of go like eight different directions, sort of like Marty Feldman's. And, uh, <laughs> and we, we use that a little bit in the design of uh, Chip, the squirrel played by Diego Luna in the movie. Oh, excellent. Yeah. And yeah, definitely Marty Feldman eyes. I get that. And we welcome pets on ISO. It's an audio podcast after all. And most people are recording from their house. Um, I, I want to go back and um, ask you a little bit more about developing this film. I read somewhere that it took nearly 10 years for you to take it from that idea to it coming out. Uh, I guess the first question is, why did the process take so long? Is that typical of something like this? And how do you sustain your creativity and interest in a project over a decade? Um, I mean, luckily I just really like this one. So it just always kept popping up. I mean, yeah, I had already told you about the initial idea at the shelter. Um, and then I kind of put that into a pitch, which I pitched to Warner Brothers and they liked it. Um, but just, you know, uh, there were other movies ahead of it kind of in the, in, in the pecking order. So those movies made their way through. And as that happened, I got to write the script, uh, first draft of the script for the movie and it continued developing. And then uh, I would say maybe about five years ago, we really kind of started working on it in earnest and got the official green light um, to the movie and started doing some artwork. And then, uh, and then the production of the film was about four years. Um, 
And so that was four years of like really working on it every day with the crew that uh, kept growing and growing uh, until eventually it was hundreds of people. And, and you, we talked about uh, volunteering at a pet shelter, uh, the length of this process. I imagine those two things must mean you have a lot of patience as a person. Is that true? <laughs> Uh, you do have to have patience to work on one of these films. The good thing about it is that you have so much time that you get to really make the movie better. You know, you get to test it and poke holes in it and put it all up and see it and see what's working and what's not working and show it to people and see what they like and what they don't. And uh, so that part is great. And then the not so great part sometimes is, yeah, you just, it, you know, it, it takes forever. And it, it also puts a lot of pressure by the time it comes out, you, when you've spent that much time, when you've, when you've spent a high school or a college <laughs> on the movie uh, for four years, it does, it, it's a lot, but, um, but it's also because it's a high school or a college, you, it's, it's kind of a joy. You, you, you build a family with all these people. You want to, sometimes you want to kill them, but for the most part, we really love each other. And, and, you know, I've been saying I a lot, but it was really a, a, a team effort uh, of wonderful people that got on Zooms uh, for, for you know, eight to 10 hours a day for years. And when we talk about this, we, you mentioned uh, Lego Batman earlier. You've done other uh, series and films, mo mostly as a writer, though. And uh, I believe this is your first uh, animated film that you've written and directed. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I've been, uh, you know, fortunate to learn uh, as a writer for years. One of my first jobs was at Disney feature animation. Um, and so, uh, you know, it was, I was 25 years old. It was like, I was there for almost five years. So it was like getting paid to go to grad school and studying from, you know, Musker and Clements who made Aladdin and Little Mermaid and then Moana uh, and Chris Williams who made Bolt and, uh, and, uh, most recently, Sea Beast on Netflix, and so um, uh, yeah, it was just pretty amazing uh, way to learn uh, just about animation. And then I went on to work on the Lego movies, uh, some of them as a writer or creative consultant. But yeah, this was my first time directing it, and really, the only thing that was different is just I considered myself the sort of head storyteller. Is all like. Uh, so, you know, as a writer, I was the person helping and, and, and filling in that niche in a project, but ultimately there was a, a head storyteller who I reported to, and they were the ones who were in charge of that one. And on, on this one, I was that person. And you mentioned a couple names earlier. You mentioned um, Natasha Leon and Diego Luna is in it, but we have this cast is insanely um, like filled with celebrities. You have D Dwayne The Rock Johnson who plays Crypto, John Krasinski who plays Superman, you have Kevin Hart, uh, Keanu Reeves, Kate McKinnon, so many others. How do you assemble and cast these people who we all know from different films and different shows into these roles? And then what's it like actually directing them and working with them? Because I imagine a lot of it is their recording by themselves. Well, they're all my close personal friends. Um, so I have them all <laughs> in my cell, just call them all up. You know, when we're casting, we, what we like to do is, uh, we have kind of designs of the characters already and we just have, we put different voices up against the designs and we just sort of uh, watch the, you know, not even moving yet, but just like a drawing of crypto and you play different actors' voices and you hear Dwayne Johnson and you go, that's, that's the guy. That's the voice that should be coming out of that dog. That is the perfect hero dog who's kind of cocky and also a little bit sad and sweet and uh, has to learn a lesson. And, and then also you realize that they're not in a vacuum. So crypto is going to be talking a lot to 
his owner, John Krasinski, as Superman. So we put their voices next to each other and we go, oh, they sound good together. Or Dwayne and Kevin, well, we know those guys are great together from countless movies, but they've never done an animated movie together. So what do their voices sound like together? Uh, and do they work as those two, two uh, characters? So as great as it is to have a famous person in your movie to help promote it, and as great as it is because they're not famous by accident, they're famous because they're charming and it's super talented actors, but we also want it to be a great voice performance. And so luckily we got a bunch of really amazing famous people who happen to be wonderful voice actors who are right for these roles and sound really fun as an ensemble together. Uh, I would not say training, but working at Disney. And you mentioned like a film like Aladdin. Um, and I think for a lot of people, at least for me, that was one of those first like animated films where you knew Robin Williams. You knew that that was his voice and that he was the genie. Um, but now it's uh, pretty much every animated anything that comes out has a lot of recognizable talent. Why do you think that trend has, has taken over animation and what are the benefits of having um, having that happen versus stuff like in the 80s or even 70s or before where you didn't know the voices or the actors and the voices? It's probably happened mostly because it helps you get the word out about a film, you know? And there's some studios like that have a brand, you know, Pixar, you know what you're getting when you say Pixar. Uh, and um, and others, you know, it, sometimes it can help, help it stand out. Uh, but for me, it shouldn't be the reason to cast somebody. Like you should cast someone because they're great for that role. And, you know, I worked on a movie called Storks and there was an uh, exec producer and there was an actress who was not a huge famous actress who was playing one of the lead roles in the temp voices that, uh, you know, that we do as we're uh, doing story reels before we uh, record the um, actual actors oftentimes. And she was so fantastic that everyone involved on in the movie said, that's the voice, that should be the voice. She's not famous, she's great. And, uh, and she should be famous hopefully after this movie. And luckily the studio agreed and it's a wonderful performance. And so, you know, I think both can work and, uh, and there's no rules, but the most important thing is that you want them to disappear. I wasn't watching Aladdin going, oh, that's Robin Williams. For me, when I watch it, I go, that's the genie. When I watch Toy Story, I don't go, oh, that's Tom Hanks as a cowboy toy. I go, that's Woody the cowboy. So I want the people that are in mind to be, uh, for you to fall in love with them in that way as well. Uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the animation style because it does draw a little bit on, I, I have this old, no one's gonna see this, but I'll show you this old Superman mix and match book from like when I was a kid. Yeah, um, I remember. Yeah, yeah. And it has some of that old like style of Superman, but it's also very contemporary at the same time. Can you talk a little bit about how uh, you worked on finding that style to the animation and the film? Uh, I think there's a cool movement happening now in animated films where for a long time, computer animated films, uh, there was a push to make everything look as real as possible. So, and you'd be like, oh man, that water looks like, looks like water. Or like, as he's running through the streets of Paris, it looks like he's in Paris and it's all made in the computer, it's all animated. And it was true, it was beautiful and it was super cool. But especially as live action movies have added so much CG animation into them, I think now there's a, a push to maybe be a bit more graphic or stylized within computer animation. So it's not so much like, how can I make it look perfectly real, but how can I make it feel, how can I make you feel something the same way you did in hand-drawn animation? And so films that I've loved from uh, people I really respect, like uh, Mitchell's versus the Machines um, or Spider-Verse, they have this kind of more graphic uh, handmade quality, even though they're 
made in a computer or the Lego movies, which I was fortunate to work on some of them, which you know feel like stop motion and you can see little fingerprints on them even though they're made in a computer. So, um, so I think when we set out to make this film, we, we wanted to do something new and fun. And you know, we looked at DC Comics and sort of the golden age of the um, early to mid tw uh, 20th century just felt right. Um, and so we were just inspired by different artists and styles from around them. Kind of hopefully feels a little bit like a painting come to life. And it feels a little bit like that magical deco-y golden era when these comics were created first. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so the name of our podcast, Jared, is I'm So Obsessed. What are you yes. currently obsessed with? Okay, this was easy for me. I'm obsessed with trail running. And I know this because my wife says to me constantly, oh my God, you're obsessed, <laughs> stop. And uh, yeah, that's the thing, trail running, I run on trails. And it's, you say you're obsessed with it. Is this like a new obsession or something you've always done? No, in fact, um, I didn't really love running. Uh, I was on a sports team in college and we had to run from the campus to the boathouse. It was the rowing team. I was the little guy who steers the boat and yells at everybody. <laughs> yeah, you, that's great. You, you uh, shout into kind of a amplified thing and um, at, at tall, handsome people. So it was perfect training to be a director. <laughs> and, um, and uh but anyway you had to run from the campus to the boathouse and i was like oh i don't want to run it's cold and i don't like this i want to get a ride uh so i was not a big runner and um just in the last uh and in the last few years i've gotten super into it um i i love being out in nature i go running in these trails sometimes i won't see another person for an hour or two hours oh wow a little scary but uh but mostly wonderful and uh, I just love being in nature. I'm not really good at meditating. I have trouble sitting and doing that, but somehow by moving and doing it and being in these beautiful places, uh, I kind of go into another place. I love listening to music and I, I kind of stopped doing that too. Like when I was a teenager, I always listened to music and I kind of stopped now. I'm listening to hours and hours of music as I'm running. What's the farthest you've, you've, rid, you've uh, ridden, you've uh, ran on a trail? Uh, I just did a race that was the farthest I've run. It was uh, a 50K race, which is, I think, 31 and a half miles. Um, and then, and there's, it's in the mountains. So there's, there's a lot of vertical in addition to that. And uh, it was crazy. Uh, I got somewhere around halfway and I was like, okay, I'm feeling all right. This is kind of the normal amount that I have done on a long run. And I was like, oh, wait, I'm only halfway. I'm going to do this <laughs> uh, again. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of nuts. Oh, that sounds amazing. I got into like cycling over the pandemic. I was in South Carolina and had access to like a, I think it was like 34 mile trail, basically. Uh, like kind of, it, it went into the mountains, but it wasn't that like steep. But yeah, over time, my goal was to ride the whole trail before I moved back here, which I did. And, but it was the same thing was there was like a meditative quality to it. And just being in nature and disconnected, it was, uh, it was actually, I miss, miss it quite a bit. Yeah. I also like 
having like there's so much uncertainty in the world you don't know how anything's going to happen in a larger sense in your own little world how's my movie going to do what's going to happen with this thing or that thing and so it's just like okay today i'm going to go run for an hour and then i come back and i did it i ran for an hour and i so i there's part of me that just likes that and it also when i'm getting too anxious about something else it doesn't just fill the time while i'm running uh this is where i probably start getting into uh i'm so obsessed because it's like it's also throughout the day it's like where am i gonna run tomorrow Let's oh that's so good yes i gotta plot out okay i'll probably go to this trail over there and then you know i'm what's the weather like tomorrow what i'm gonna what am i gonna wear you have to have the right gear you have to plan out what you're gonna eat and uh what you're gonna drink and you have to uh, yeah and stretch before and then the stretch after and the fuel that you have to eat after and slow but surely it takes over every single thing in your life but i kind of like it because it's <laughs> filling in all the holes where i would have been worried about something else and now i'm just worried about something completely dumb and arbitrary and which i love i've never trail ran maybe I'll, I'll have to give that a shot i did not have to run to the boathouse either so <laughs> um i'll take, I'll take you anytime Okay, that sounds great. Uh, I did want to ask a little bit, you, you referenced uh, Disney um, in, when you were 25. Um, when did you realize that you wanted to be a writer or a filmmaker? I was really little. Um, I went to see Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, my dad took me. Um, and I don't know, I was, I was pretty young, like maybe six years old or something. And uh, I got a little scared at the part where the faces were melting. And my dad told me, it's okay, just shut your eyes and don't look at the exact same time that Indiana Jones said to Marion, just shut your eyes and you'll be okay. Uh, and I was okay. And I came out of the movie theater and, uh, you know, everyone in my family, when I came home, it must've been one of my first movies. And they're like, so how was it? Do you want to be Indiana Jones? You want to be an archeologist? And I said, no, I want to be Steven Spielberg. Uh, so <laughs> I think that's, that's when I knew. And uh and then I tried to convince myself for years that, oh, yeah, that's just a silly dream. You don't actually do that. Um, and so I tried more practical things in terms of like, well, this is what I'll major in in college. And uh, this is what I'll intern in uh, in my summers. But uh, everyone and everything kept pushing me to, um, to do the thing that, at least try to do the thing that I love. Um, like I interned in advertising. I thought, that's close enough. That, and the guy that I interned for was like, this is the fallback job you go, go do the thing that you dream of first. And if it doesn't work out, then do this. And uh, I'm very thankful to that guy. And luckily for me, it worked out. Wow, that's so, I can't imagine a coworker telling me like, hey, you're a good phone reviewer, but go do something else. Like <laughs> I, that must be scary too, when he told you that. It was a little scary. Cause I was like, I'm gonna be practical. I'm gonna do the practical thing. I will get this more practical job and I will make, make sure that I have a, you know an apartment and normal life and then and then for fun, I will write the script. And he was like, no, you got to do the thing, the impractical thing. And, and then you can always fall back on the practical thing. So it was scary because uh, it wasn't in my nature. Um, and I always kept telling myself, well, OK, if it doesn't work as a writer, then I'll be this and I'll be that. Uh, there'll be some more practical thing to do. But um, you know, the, uh, some people maybe are more impractical by nature. And they just go, I have this dream, and I'm going to follow it. And for <laughs> me, I needed a little bit of a push, I think, someone to tell me, like, it's OK to do the impractical thing. Uh, so I'm glad I got it. I am too. And I'm the work I've seen from you already. It's uh, I'm really grateful that you're still doing this. And uh, one of those things is the film Happy Anniversary, um, which you wrote and directed. And that's a live action film. Um, and it stars Ben Schwartz. And I just want to ask you a couple of things. What's your relationship with him like? <laughs> well, because he's been he's been because he's been in um, he's done voices in some of your animated stuff, too. 
correct. He's in uh, he's in Super Pets as well. Oh, there you um, go. I don't think his role has been announced yet, so I won't say who he plays. But he's, <laughs> oh boy, that's a great tease. He's fantastic in the movie. Uh, and yeah, I just, um, you know, uh, he's a really great performer. He was playing a character that was, you know, that movie Happy Anniversary on Netflix was, uh, you know, loosely based on my life. And it's a romantic comedy uh, about a couple dating. And so it's a tricky thing to kind of have to direct someone as you or, or somewhat like you. You don't want them to be exactly like you. Um, and I feel like he was a better, more fun <laughs> uh, version of myself in that movie. And um, yeah, he's just, he's super talented, obviously amazing improviser. He added so much to that movie. And uh, and so that's of course why I wanted to work with him again on, on Super Pets as well. It's, it's, it's always great when you work with someone who you know will be great with what you've got, but will also then make it even better. You've worked for both live action and animation. What's the appeal for you of each? Yeah, they both, they're both fun and they're both difficult and terrifying in their own wonderful <laughs> ways. Um, you know, uh, live action is quicker. Everything happens faster. There's an energy to that that's exciting, but also terrifying, you know, when you're like the sun, the sun is moving or, you know, there's a scene in Happy Anniversary where the dog uh, has been hit, sprayed by a skunk and he's covered in tomato juice because they're trying to uh, give him a bath to get the smell out and, I, and the dog shakes off and gets sprays tomato juice all over the two leads and this was a you know small relatively low budget film and so you know I know I only have maybe like two shots at getting the effect of the dog shaking off and splattering them because every time they get splattered we've got to give them a shower and fix their hair and give them new clothes. And maybe we've got two sets of clothes for them to wear on a low budget movie. But I was so scared of what was going to happen. So to me, that's making a live action movie. It is so fun. And these crazy things happen that you wouldn't expect. And, and, and it's just, it's just a lot of energy and, uh, and, and can be great. But like I said, scary. And, and it is nice that when it's done, it's done, it's quick. Um, and then animation is just methodical. And, and you don't have to wake up at three in the morning unless you're uh, in the random uh, thing where somebody is across the country or across the world, but uh, you don't have to wake up at three in the morning or stay up in these crazy long nights. Like it's, it's a day job. You go in and you punch in and you punch out for four years and you get to really work things over and over and over again. And so it's much more slow and steady. And uh, one of the cool things about animation though that really happens that's shocking. Like I just talked about how Ben Schwartz his improv would plus my bad dialogue in a live action movie, but an animated movie is just plus after plus after plus where it's like, okay, I have an idea. Here's a script page. But then uh, we hand it to a story artist who does storyboard of the whole movie. And like they're, they're storyboarding that scene and they come up with all this new stuff because they're thinking visually and they're coming up with this clever thing. And so then it gets better. And, uh, and you have it in your head a certain way. And now, no, they've taken it a totally different way and plus it. And then it gets the lighting and then it gets the music. It's just a plus, 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 plus from hundreds of people until it gets to the end. And you just go, oh my God, I can't believe how much better this is than that, that sheet of paper that it started in. So that's one of the, the really fun things about animation that uh, hopefully helps make up for the fact that you sit in a lot of times in a meeting just going, what if that whisker was like a little bit higher? <laughs> Can you just move that one whisker an inch? Uh, so it's a, 
it's a trade-off, but I, I'm pretty lucky to do what I do. I've uh, been told that one of the themes in the film is about selflessness. Um, and we talked about patience uh, earlier in our interview. I'm curious, why is selflessness such an important value to have, especially in a superhero film? There's a lot of superhero movies and I love so many of them. They're wonderful. Um, going back to when I was a kid and the Christopher Reeve, Donner, Superman, and the Tim Burton, Batman. Uh, so now there's um, more superhero movies than non-superhero movies, it seems like. Um, so what was specific about this? And I thought, well, this one's about pets. And it's about dogs. And what makes dogs sort of uh, heroic? And I think it's that they, they love unconditionally, right? I mean, people, no matter what, we're going to have conditions. But our dogs love us as we are. And that's a bit of a, a heroic thing. And I think that's a lesson that for me is important for the whole world right now. Uh, I think sometimes selfishness can be, you know, there's that greed is good kind of thing that was, was a big in the eighties and then it went away and I see it creeping back into our world all the time. And so any, and for myself, a reminder, uh, you know, to, to be selfish. Now I, you took the words out of my mouth as to say on why that, why that's so necessary now, especially in light of, everything going on in the world um, um, at, at this time. What's one of your favorite scenes, whether it's something that you wrote or something that when it came together really surprised you in DC League of Super Pets? There's a scene which I can't give away, but it's an emotional scene between uh, the two lead characters of Crypto and Ace. And, uh, and it actually gets into some of the thematic stuff that we were just talking about, uh, learning lessons and, um, and hopefully, in a, you know, whenever someone has to learn a lesson in a movie, especially a kid's movie, it can be really, at times, heavy-handed. I've probably screwed up and done it myself in several movies. And so just trying to find a way to for a character to learn something and for all of us to learn something in a way that isn't gross. And I hope that, that, that we pulled it off. And that's my, my favorite scene. Okay, so I want to wrap up. We do a thing called pick one. I give you a couple of choices. You select one. Doesn't mean the thing you select is better necessarily than the other thing. This goes by pretty quick. So let's play pick one. All right. Okay. Uh, first one, dogs or cats? Dogs. <laughs> I won't even, I'm not even going to follow up with that. Second one, <laughs> Batman or Superman? Batman. Next one, writing, directing, or producing? Producing just because it's the least stress. <laughs> I'm noticing a theme here. And then the last one, this could probably be the hardest one you have. Hardest question, ha hardest choice. Pick one, Raiders of the Lost Dark, Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, or Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I got to go original. I got to go Raiders. There, that was the right answer. That actually had a right answer and you named it. So Jared, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. I'm so excited to see this film. And yeah, I just gotta say seeing crypto on an IMAX screen was gonna be a highlight when it comes out in July. Oh, awesome. This was the most fun I've had in one of these interviews. So thank you so much. This is really great. And uh, yeah, thanks man. I want to thank Jared for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. DC League of Super Pets is in theaters starting July 29th. I'm So Obsessed was created by our executive producer, Daniel Ramirez. Our editor and lead producer is Sophia Fox Sowell, and this episode was produced by Rebecca Fleener. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Follow the show on Twitter at I'm So Obsessed Pod. And until next time, take care.